The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey, this is Raheem Moster, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Roster Watch Nation. I am Cody Carpentier, and these are my top 10 thoughts. Coming out of week five, going into week six. A good week, an interesting week. We saw some teams win that we did not expect to win. The Pittsburgh Steelers getting a massive, massive divisional win over the Baltimore Ravens. They are now 2 0 in the division. Are the Steelers? beating the Browns at home and Baltimore at home. Now they go into a bye week at 3-2, and two, something I didn't expect out of Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh's not a great football team uh, through and through on offense. The offense just isn't it's, – it's it's pitiful. I, I, a lot of drop passes by Baltimore, but that's, uh, that's another subject that may be done another day. But Pittsburgh did get the win, so that was a big one for them. As far as the standings go – Jacksonville and Indianapolis tied at the top of the AFC South. That will be a matchup that we will see this coming week. We'll talk about that one here in a little bit. Houston does fall to Atlanta in Atlanta. An interesting one I did not expect. Obviously, Houston's riding high over the last couple of weeks with C.J. Stroud. Buffalo takes the L from Jacksonville on Sunday morning, a game where Buffalo had been starting hot over the course of the last couple of games, and then they go travel overseas they start slow get behind the eight ball and all of a sudden travis Etienne goes off and all the receivers in jacksonville wake up at the same time so it was a good game for the jaguars as they bounce back after sitting overseas for two weeks on the nfc side dallas is who we thought they were we've said that a couple times now on top 10 thoughts and we're going to continue to say that so before I get too far and too deep into it, I appreciate you guys for tuning in, tapping in. Please click that like button. Click subscribe here on the Roster Watch YouTube channel. If you're listening on podcast, we literally only have a handful, like maybe two dozen reviews on Spotify. So if you're listening on Spotify, please click pause just for a second. We'll still be here. Click pause, click rating, click five stars, click done, come back, hit play. It'll take you literally eight seconds to click pause. Click review, click five stars, and then come back. Super easy. You don't have to type anything. You just click the button, five stars, come back. I appreciate you. We love you. We thank you. I am live today on Monday, October 9th. I just did watching rosters yesterday. Trashman and Alex will be live tomorrow. And then Byron will be back with the Tradecast on Wednesday on podcast only. Ian's Cats, Matt Cassidy, Michael Y in the chat. What's going on, friends? Hope you guys are all doing well. Let's begin, though, with the top 10 thoughts of week number five going into week number six. I'm going to begin with Dallas. 
The Dallas Cowboys got shipwrecked on Sunday Night Football by the San Francisco 49ers, a team where last week we discussed the number one thought of the week being the 49ers are a lot closer to legendary status or all-time status than anybody's willing to accept. And by that I meant, you know, 2007 Patriots, 85 Bears, that level of legendary conversation. 42-10, the Niners dust the Cowboys, a game that didn't feel that close. It wasn't close. It didn't feel that close. But the Niners have now scored 30, 30, 30, 35, and 42 points over the course of the last five games, the first five games of the season. They have a stranglehold on the NFL as the leaders, but that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is Dallas needs depth. And by that, I mean Dallas literally needs depth. They are suffocating themselves by having Brennan Cooks out there, by having Jalen Tolbert, by having a Michael Gallup that's not quite old Michael Gallup, by having these three guys on the opposite side of CeeDee Lamb, by having a Jake Ferguson who's good, but he's not the Witten. He's not even on the Schultz level of output and talent where the defense has to worry about them. It's Lamb in the backfield. It's Pollard. Dowdle is not being respected. It's it's literally we know we can put seven guys in the box. I think he's averaging 6.8 guys in the box per carry for Pollard. And Lamb is not having the output you're used to seeing from an alpha receiver because, quite frankly, there's nobody else to take coverage away in its focal point. They know they can focus on Lamb. They can focus on Pollard. This is a, a talent talent and depth-deprived Dallas Cowboys football team. And until that something changes, this team's not going to be looked at in a high regard Um Going forward, and the, and the problem, I guess, with Dak is that Dak is—he's not like Brock Purdy. You, you know, you easily compare the two because they played in that game together. But Purdy, Purdy's an elevator. Purdy can elevate an offense because he's given the right options and things to do. He's—he's he's got Kyle Shanahan next to him, teaching him the ways. He's an elevator because he's smart, he's precise, he's accurate. Dak Prescott is a maintainer. If he's gifted the ability to push the ball downfield in garbage time or in a shootout. He can. Yes, he can. He can also move uh, with his legs. Not as good as he used to, but he can do it. But he's proven he can't have the game left on his shoulders. The offensive line is not what it used to be. They really miss having the dynamic duo in the backfield. Yes, Pollard is good enough to have the backfield by himself, but all backfields in the NFL, as you can tell today, they all need another guy next to him. So until the, until the Rico Dado can take that step up, or they can go get Leonard Fournette. I don't see Pollard's efficiency rising because defenses aren't respecting this offense at all. They're putting seven guys in the box because they know they can get after this offensive line and stop Pollard, and then they're they're doubling up Lamb on most opportunities that they can because it's 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 that it's a it's a it's a pretty one and a half dimensional offense. And Dallas has the Chargers this week. Kellen Moore's going to host them out in L.A., and I'm not sure that one's going to be pretty either. I think the Chargers win that football game on Monday Night Football, and they're going to be 3-3 three and three going into a bye where the Dallas Cowboys are going to be thinking two, three, four times about a number of things. And then they come out, they get the Rams and the Eagles. Rams are a good football team. We'll talk about those guys in a little bit. But the Cowboys could be looking at 3-5, and five, playing the Giants. And then you get a little bit of a roll, and your team's looking at uh, you know 6-5. and five. And then you play Seattle and the Eagles, and Buffalo, and Miami. Like, this is a team that you can see boom, boom, up, down, up, down, and you can see them end up with literally eight, nine wins. But this is also a team where if things start clicking, 
It can be an 11-win team, somewhere in between. That is number 10, Dallas needs depth. Number nine, the AFC South Championship is going to be this weekend, week six of the NFL season. It's Jacksonville hosting the Indianapolis Colts. This matchup already happened in week one. Talked about this one numerous times on numerous podcasts. Indianapolis should have won that football game. It was late in the fourth quarter or midway through the fourth quarter, whatever it was. And Indianapolis had been up 21-17 in this game. Indianapolis punted down to about the five, six, seven yard line. And it was misplayed by the special teams of the Colts. And it allowed Jamal Agnew to return the ball to about the positive 45, the plus 45. And that ended up giving Jacksonville all the momentum which in turn led to them scoring a touchdown with five minutes left with Tank Bigsby and then another touchdown a little bit later with Travis Etienne. So it's going to be a good game down in Duval. There's no Anthony Richardson. It looks like he's out with an AC joint, but they do have Jonathan Taylor back. Gardner Minshew's 3-0 and in games he's played in this year. Gardner Minshew, I would say, knows this offense better than Anthony Richardson does anyway because he was with Steichen in Philadelphia behind Jalen Hurts. So I trust that. I trust the targets to be – Given to the right players, Josh Downs is a guy that broke out this past week. It's a guy that we've been waiting for, breaking out. Josh Downs is a stud of a wide receiver, a stud of a route runner. Caught six of six targets for 97 yards. He complements Michael Pittman much better than Alec Pierce does. <clears throat> Alec Pierce, two targets, one catch, 10 yards. Bum, nothing, zero. Not, not something you want in fantasy football. But this running backfield, 80% to Zach Moss as far as the snaps and a 16% snap share for Jonathan Taylor in this football game. Look for that to incrementally grow. I don't think Taylor's going to come in like next week and all of a sudden overtake Moss. I think it's going to be an incremental growth of opportunity for Taylor to get back to 100% on the field, you know, knock the rust off, and play some football. And I think this is going to be a dynamic duo down the stretch. And they have one of the easier schedules, I would say, for the remainder of the season. The Colts do the 3-2 and two right now. Again, like I said, this is the AFC South Championship right now. I don't think Tennessee's on the level of these two teams. It's interesting and it's tough to even say Indianapolis is on the level of Jacksonville, but I think that says more about Jacksonville taking a step back and coupled with Indianapolis taking a step forward, showing a run game, showing this offensive line is back to where it was. So I think this is the AFC South Championship. Again, the Colts played Jacksonville this week, Cleveland, New Orleans, Carolina, New England. So if they can get by the Jaguars, the Browns is a winnable game. The Saints is a winnable game at home. At Carolina, at New England, all winnable games. If they win all five of those, that puts the Colts at eight and two. If they lose this game to Jacksonville and win those next four, that puts them at seven and three going into the bye week. That's a very favorable start to the season for the Colts. Then you come out, you have Tampa at home, at Tennessee, at Cincinnati, home against Pittsburgh, home against Vegas, home against Houston. A lot of winnable football games for the Indianapolis Colts in the season, regardless regardless of Richardson as the quarterback or Minshew. I think this is the AFC South Championship right here. Indianapolis can really put themselves into third gear if they show up to this football game, run the ball, and have a great game against Jacksonville. Also, when you look over at FanDuel right now, kind of perked my interest was Jacksonville's minus 120 to win the South. Tennessee is plus 380, and the Colts are plus 410. Houston, if you like them, they're plus 650, but they just lost to the Atlanta Falcons. It's an interesting odd, though, 
because this this division feels like it's up in the air. Jacksonville obviously had a good game against Buffalo, but it was overseas. They kind of had a little bit of an advantage. Buffalo coming over there. It's interesting. Number eight on the top 10 thoughts of the week, rookie running backs continue to be a fantasy cheat code. By what do I mean by that? Not do I mean B. John Robinson, Devon A. Chain, because I do, because those guys have been cheat codes. Now Devon A. Chain's dealing with a little bit of a knee injury. Bijan is him. Bijan is Bijan. Bijan, we talked about this numerous times already on the top 10 thoughts, but that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jaleel McLaughlin. I'm talking about Imari DiMercato, two guys I've talked about the last three weeks on Undercovered Ops on Patreon.com forward slash executives. Undercovered Ops is my show that I did on Player Profiler. It now is only found on Patreon. Tyja Spears, another guy that we've talked about here at Roster Watch since all the way back to the Senior Bowl, along with Kendra Miller. Kendra Miller peeped his head this week on the New Orleans Saints, coupled with Elvin Kamara in this game against the New England Patriots that they completely dustballed 34-0. Kendra Miller had four catches on four targets for 53 yards. Kamara, three for three for 17 yards. So Kendra getting in on the receiving work is so, so, so massive to start his career. He had 12 carries for 37 yards as well in this game. It's, it's, it's a great opportunity for Kendra Miller and Kendra Miller enthusiasts to see him get opportunities in a game that really got out of hand positively for the Saints because I wasn't sure we were going to get another as many opportunities in this setting uh, during his rookie season because I wasn't sure the Saints were going to be this good, but they're not this good. It's more so about how bad New England is. But it's either, anyways, it's great to see Kendra get those opportunities. Roshan Johnson, Khalil Herbert looks like he's banged up. The Bears just signed Darrington Evans back to the squad. Looks like Roshan Johnson should clear and be eligible to play this week. Roshan, we've been talking about it. We were aiming like week eight for him to start breaking out. He started to do a little bit of stuff early this offseason or early this season. And now the opportunity is looking like it's going to loom on Sunday against the Vikings. Two one and four teams playing in Chicago. The opportunity should be there for Roshan Johnson. And then Eric Gray. Eric Gray, the running back out of Oklahoma, the super soft hands from the senior bowl. Super soft hands from senior bowl. I like that. SSS. That is Mr. Eric Gray. They're going to be playing on Sunday night football against the Bills this week. There was no Saquon Barkley last week. And again, that game got out of hand in favor of the Miami Dolphins after the Dolphins got up 24-10 in the third quarter. But Eric Gray finished with the most carries for the Giants, 12, three more than Matt Breida. They both averaged less than three yards per carry, so whatever that's worth. And Eric Gray only had one target. But Eric Gray got 40% of the opportunities in the backfield for the New York Giants, 40% of the snaps, I should say, uh, over Matt Breida, who had 55%, or I should say next to Matt Breida, who had 55%. So Eric Gray, another running back in this class where uh, not a lot of these guys are guys. You know, we drafted Spears. We were drafting Kendra and Roshan, but also like McLaughlin, DeMarcado, Eric Gray, guys that were free, guys that you didn't have to go out and spend – uh, old aging picks on in fantasy football late in drafts. And this is a learning thing. That's why it's a thought. Rookie running backs continue to be a fantasy cheat code. Not only Bijan and A-Chain, but you have guys like Spears, Kendra, and Roshan, who we knew were going to be good, starting to get more and more opportunities. And then you have guys like McLaughlin, DiMercato, Gray, who don't get drafted, in, never get drafted. It's guys like this every single year that don't get drafted, and then all of a sudden they're available to add in the season. So it's important to utilize these rookies with fresh legs that these teams are trying to push into these new roles. I think that's a very interesting aspect. Number seven 
the Rams lost to the Eagles, but they're still better than Atlanta, than Green Bay, than New Orleans, than Washington, and Minnesota. So what does that mean? It means the Los Angeles Rams, who many wrote off and some said would be in conversations to get Caleb Williams in this draft, the Rams will make the playoffs in 2023. As it currently stands in the NFC side of things, it's San Fran, it's Philly, it's Detroit, it's Tampa as your divisional winners. I don't think any of that's going to change. The, the wild card teams, Seattle feels like a shoe in Dallas. We talked about earlier. They could be an eight win team. They could be an 11 win team. They should make the playoffs, but there's seven teams that go to the playoffs. Would you take the Rams over Atlanta? I would. I trust Sean McVay and that coaching staff to stop the run against Atlanta and to score points with Puka and Cooper cup. We'll talk about these two guys in just a second, but I want to finish this out. Would you take the Rams over new Orleans? Currently I would. That would be a great game, but I think it's going to come down to New Orleans versus the Rams to get this final playoff spot. Rams over Green Bay, yes. Rams over Washington, yes. Rams over Minnesota, yes. See where I'm at? That's where we're at with the Los Angeles Rams right now. And when you look at what the routes looked like with Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup on the field together, Puka had 11 targets, Cup had 12. This last week, we ranked these guys almost perfectly at rosterwatch.com. You can find those weekly rankings up at rosterwatch.com. Become a premium member, pro or premium member. Nine of 12 Cooper Cup targets were with him moving to his left. Nine of 12 targets were on routes where he was moving to his left. Six of 11 Puka Nakua targets were of him moving to his right. And most of these were crossing, slants, uh, plays at depth, plays behind the line of scrimmage, etc., it's like what is what what are we what are we going to learn from this? What one Van Jefferson is a, is a zero. He's moot. Tutu Atwell did score. Tutu Atwell's their motion guy. That's the guy that they're they're using in this new um, speed motion or or whatever you want to call it that Miami's doing or cheat motion. Sorry, cheat motion. That's what Kyle Shanahan called it, the cheat motion. So Miami's running that with Tyreek. San Fran's running that with Debo, and the Rams are move, running that with Tutu Atwell. But it's not obviously as important with Tutu Atwell because they don't have Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. This goes back to 2019. If you look at Cup's targeted routes versus Robert Woods' targeted routes, Cup's routes now are more advanced and deeper, um, but they're kind of the same premise, right? So a lot of Cup's work was moving to the left, where a lot of Woods' work was moving to the right. And I can't believe we didn't tie this line together in previous weeks thinking about this. I was like, well, they'll be able to you know, you know, Sean McVay smart enough to utilize both of these guys together. Why wouldn't he be? Like, it's, it's Sean McVay. He's a smart coach. He's not dumb. He's a smart offensive mind. Same with Shanahan. Same with McDaniel. These guys, these guys know what to do with talent. Puka had 100% of snaps. Cooper Cup, 95% of snaps. 95% of snaps after people were worried about him not playing. I played both of these guys in an FFPC lineup. Very happy about the result for that. Again, 23 targets combined between these two guys. But that all goes together with saying that the Rams, how the Rams looked. Again, they did lose to the Eagles, and the Eagles are really good, and they handled them, et cetera. I get that. This Rams football team is going to be tough to beat. They play the Cardinals, Steelers, Cowboys, and Packers the next four weeks. And I would select, I would pick the Rams in at least three of those four games against Arizona, Pittsburgh, and Green Bay. Arizona, Pittsburgh are at home the next two weeks. They go to Dallas in three weeks, be a good game. 
We'll see what the Cowboys look like by then. But again, that one's up in the air. We talked about that one earlier. And then they go into a bye. I think that the Rams are going to be a strong or an interesting team. I don't think they're going to make a run by any means, but I think they're going to be a playoff team in 2023. Number six, Brock Purdy is a top 10 option in fantasy football the rest of the season. Some people might not think that's hot. Some people might. Currently, he's the quarterback number seven in all of fantasy football through the first five weeks. The quarterback seven through the first five weeks. Brock Purdy had 16 and 14 the first two weeks. He scored 20 plus each of the last three, 20, 23, 26. And what I talked about a minute ago was just what San Francisco's done. They've scored 30, 30, 35, and 42. A lot of McCaffrey, a lot of Debo, some Kittle this week with three touchdowns, and some Brandon Ayuk. This team is loaded with talent across the board, loaded with a great offensive line, loaded with a great defense. The opportunities are going to be there to score 30-plus points per game. Purdy's going to take advantage of that. Purdy's a top-10 option. You can list out the guys that you would have ahead of Purdy, maybe, most times, right? I'll take Josh Allen. I'll take Jalen Hurts, Kirk Cousins, Mahomes, Tua, Herbert, Lamar. That's seven. Then the conversation is, who else would you take? Would you take Fields rest of season? I don't know. I think, maybe, I think I might. Goff, I think I would favor Purdy. Stroud, I think I would favor Purdy because the offensive line and the talent that's around him. And Richardson, Richardson would be a guy that I would probably have ahead of Purdy if his health was not a question. So that right there puts you Purdy at quarterback eight and a half, somewhere in there. Watson's going to come back. Watson should be up there, should. But again, he hasn't been healthy yet. We haven't seen him be healthy yet. So I would say Purdy's going to be a top 10 quarterback rest of season. He's going to be a dependable guy if you did lose Richardson. He's going to be a dependable guy if you if you're dealing with a frustrating quarterback. A Purdy, I think, is going to be someone that you're going to be able to lean on in a bunch of these games. They have an indoor game in two weeks in Minnesota. Um, Cleveland this week, Cincinnati at, ho- uh, at home, Jacksonville, Tampa, Seattle. Then you get down the stretch at Seattle, Philly, Seattle, Arizona, and Baltimore. All games where they're going to need to score points, right? Baltimore is actually at home. Arizona is in Arizona inside. Seattle's at home. Philadelphia is Dece- on December 3rd in Philadelphia. That could be a potential snow spot. But other than that, all these matchups are good for Brock Purdy to be a top 10 quarterback rest of the way. Number five, since taking over, DeAndre Swift is running back five in fantasy football. So that's week two, three, four, and five for DeAndre Swift since taking over as the lead back in Philadelphia. Wild, right? Well, somebody did have him as a, uh, mover up in his dynasty rankings this offseason when he signed with Philadelphia. And that mister is the one you're looking at right now. I had him up at running back nine. After having never drafted DeAndre Swift in my entire life, I told Matty Keel I was doing this. I told Alex Dunlap I was doing this. And they said, what? I said, but I've never drafted a, a, single, a single DeAndre Swift in my life. And this year I've drafted four of them already. And I moved him up to running back nine in dynasty. And now the opportunities are becoming efficient in this Philadelphia Eagles backfield. Now, I'm not here to brag about that. What I am here to break down and understand is why the utilization is continuing to work. The last time that we saw Swift look like he's looked right now was with Detroit in 2021. 
He had a 33-carry game against Pittsburgh for 130 yards. He had six targets, three receptions in that game. But he had a 93% snap share. Something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I said it wasn't – It's it, what he did a couple of weeks ago against Minnesota was it's like that's not repeatable, right? 28 carries. We saw him do this earlier in his career. It just wasn't quite – wasn't quite well, what 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 you, what you can expect from Swift on a consistent basis. The next week, he had 14 carries for 136 against Cleveland, and the Lions lost. He had a 73% snap share. The next week against the Bears, he got hurt. He ended up missing the next four games the rest of the season. 2022, the first game of the year against the Philadelphia Eagles, 15 carries, 144, and a touchdown on a 67% snap share. The following week, 5 for 56 on a 51% snap share, 7 for 31, then he got hurt. You following the trend right there? Comes back at the end of last season, never really got pushed into a role, or now he's known as the swift role, right? That's what Gibbs is perceived as being in right now. Gibbs is now hurt as well. The 2023 season began with him having one carry in week one. In week two against the Minnesota Vikings, he had a 75% snap share. And I said, that's not repeatable. They can't give him a 75% snap share and expect the same output. He's going to get hurt. We've seen it already. The trend is there. Week two, they come back against Tampa Bay. 16 carries, 130 on a 54% snap share. So it goes down by 20% and the efficiency goes up. Against Washington last week, 14 for 56 and a touchdown. 63% snap share. And this week, 17 for 70. Six receptions for Six targets and 38 yards, his season high on a 62% snap share. What DeAndre Swift is doing right now is maintainable because of how Philadelphia is utilizing DeAndre Swift in this backfield. They're not going to max him out. They're not going to push him over 80%. They, they gave him 75% in that game against Minnesota for who knows why. They could have pulled him earlier. They could have played somebody else. But that was the game that Gainwell, uh, Gainwell was injured and they kind of had to lean on Swift. I get it, but you know they could have brought in Boston Scott, whatever. You can see the last three weeks what they want. They want 16, 14, 17. They want to stay right around 15 carries for DeAndre Swift. And with his current efficiency and the talent that's around him, that's going to continue to pay off in fantasy football. Will he be running back five rest of season? I don't think so. But will he be a top 12 option rest of season? Yes, sir. And yes, I would trade for DeAndre Swift. He's running back five since becoming the lead running back in Philadelphia Spooky, spooky offense. It's going to be a great, great, great NFC championship between Philadelphia and the 49ers. Number four in the top 10 thoughts this week centers around the wide receiver position. But before we jump into that, I just want to say thank you guys for tuning in, tapping in here live on YouTube. I got a couple of questions we'll jump in here. Michael Y says, Go right and review, Cody, in Sleeper Hold Million Dollar Man. Appreciate you, Michael Y. I think I read that question wrong, but this is what it is. Gordon Baltzell says, should I trade Derrick Henry and Amari Cooper to get Higgins, Ayuk, and Madison? I don't mind that trade. I think you're buying low on Higgins. I think you're buying properly on Ayuk. I would take Ayuk over Cooper at this current stage. So that means you're getting Madison plus Higgins for Derrick Henry, and Henry's usage has been minimalized over the last couple of weeks, thankful to Tyja Spears. I don't think that maintains all season because I think Henry's going to get his Henry kind of, of end of season, but this team is just not as good as it once was, so I'm not sure what that end of season looks like for Henry. I would be okay taking on Madison Higgins and Ayuk in this trade. 
The Johnson Show, let's go. Trade Amon Ra and Michael Thomas and get Stephon Diggs. I would not. I would hold Amon Ra and Michael Thomas. Yo, got offered Kyrie Williams and Devonta Smith for my Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones. Got offered Kyron Williams and Devonta Smith for my Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones. I would take that right now just because the injury bug that's currently being dealt with Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon's efficiency is only continuing to drop uh, whilst his opportunities are staying pat. He's hitting that 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 spot where Delvin Cook is starting to hit, right? He's a, he's an age 27 season. Last year, we saw the last of, of Delvin Cook. I would move off of Joe Mixon. I like the Kyron Williams play. Devonta Smith is the best player in this trade. I would go do it. What should I do if I'm 1-3 and three and my team is? Herbert, Eckler, Jones, Garrett Wilson, Puka Thielen, James Cook, Waddle, Mostert, Kittle, Lockett. I would try to get a running back to pair um, inside there with Eckler and Jones. I would move off of James Cook. You have Mostert. That's a nice addition. I would try to move off of James Cook and Aaron Jones in a combo deal and see if I can move up a couple tiers. Would you trade Amari Cooper for Debo Samuel? Smash, yes. I said Cody will put you in a sleeper. Oh, that's right. I read it wrong. My apologies. I appreciate you. All right, guys. Thank you. I'm going to get right back to the show. We're down to the top 10 thoughts. This is number four. Again, please click that like and subscribe button here on YouTube. I appreciate you guys. Number four, alpha receivers matter. If you didn't know that already, you learned it this week watching the games take place. Jamar Chase goes north of 190 receiving yards. North of 190 receiving yards. I tweeted this one out um, yesterday during the game, but this was his third career 190-plus yard receiving game. Tying... Amari Cooper for third among active players. Tyreek Hill has five, which is the most all-time. Mike Evans has four, and Jamar Chase has three. Amari Cooper has three. Justin Jefferson's not on that list. That's a few lists that you'll find that Justin Jefferson does not exist on. That right there is one of them. Tyreek Hill, another massive game. Miami wins. Jamar Chase, massive game. Cincinnati wins. DJ Moore is forced the football. He was the only wide receiver on the Chicago Bears this week that was targeted. Sorry. He was the only wide receiver on the Chicago Bears this week that caught a football. Cole Komet and Robert Tunyon were the other two that caught footballs, but they were tight ends. The only receiver on the Bears that caught a football was DJ Moore in that trumping of the Washington Redskins this past week. Stephon Diggs, another big week. Stephon Diggs has been fantastic all season, a part of this Buffalo offense. I would stand on this thought that the Buffalo Bills win that game eight times out of ten in Buffalo, seven times out of ten in Duval, seven times out of ten on a neutral site in America, but they happen to lose it overseas. Jacksonville had been there for ten more days. Buffalo goes, starts slow, and what transpired, transpired. But I think Stephon Diggs is a very important piece. Calvin Ridley in that same game goes north of 100 yards. Finally, again, a big part of them winning that football game. Again, A.J. Brown, 130-yard performance against the Rams this past week. That's six dudes right there that I just named off that are alphas. They fit the archetype. They're 5'11", 6'6", 1". They're 190, 195, 200 pounds. A.J. Brown, more than that. Studs that you can depend on weekly basis. On a weekly basis, you can depend on Chase. When you need something and something's going wrong, you can depend on Chase. And Joe Burrow looked like he was back to his old self 
when you line up the next-gen charts side-by-side from yesterday to Week 7 of last year when he had a 40-plus attempt game. Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, the connection is back. Now, that doesn't mean this team's going to make the playoffs, but they're going to continue to yo-yo, and you're going to be able to make those guys uh, playable and startable in fantasy football on a weekly basis for the remainder of the season. But alpha wide receivers matter in the NFL. Like, who knew, right? These guys are very freaking important to their teams doing well. You see that with Chase. You saw that with Cup coming back this week. Cup and Nakua is making this a completely different dynamic of an offense, having two of these cats now. You don't have to bring up Justin Jefferson. That's a different dynamic uh, being in Minnesota with how bad that offensive line and how bad that defense is. But the point still stands out for receivers matter very much. Number three on the top ten thoughts of week number five Kind of has something to do with an alpha wide receiver, but I just had this thought that went through my mind was, imagine trading away, if you had this, imagine trading away Caleb Williams and DJ Moore. So you have Caleb Williams and you have DJ Moore, and you trade those guys away, and all you get back is a Bryce Young, a 5'11", 185-pound quarterback. Imagine trading away Caleb Williams and DJ Moore. And people are going to say, well, you can't think about it that way because, you know, they didn't know they were going to be 0-5 and, and have currently the number one pick in the draft going into 2024. The, the, how would the Panthers know that? Well, you can if your internal scouting is good, right? You could know that my roster is not built to win in 2023. You could know because your front office, your NFL scouts, your Team scouts, because these teams don't just have prospect scouts who go out and watch prospects. They have scouts that self-scout. They self-scout their own football team. They're scouts that scout other NFL teams and other players. And the idea that the Panthers, entire front office and scouting staff, would look at their own roster and say, let's trade away this number one pick because we know we're going to win more than eight games in 2023. And we're not going to be in that conversation. We know we're going to win at least eight games with Bryce Young or seven games with Bryce Young. We're going to be out of contention for that spot. That we're going to go out there and we're going to make that pick for Bryce Young. Instead of sticking with or forcing Matt Corral out there or forcing, uh, you know, signing a Jacoby Brissett or maybe bringing Andy Dalton back, which who they do have right now. Something of those lines where the team knows, all right, next year this team's not actually good because we've self-scouted ourselves. We're not going to go get James Houston because we don't think we're one edge rusher away. You know, we're not going to pay Miles Sanders because we think we're running back away. We're not going to go at Adam Thielen because we, we we're depending on progressing our own talent in Terrace Marshall and Shai Smith in um, Jonathan Mingo, Tommy Tremble, like progressing our own talents. Instead, we're going to trade our future pick, which is now looked at as Caleb was, oh, and again, I forgot to say, while I was progressing Mingo and Terrace Marshall, you also have DJ Moore on the roster. So the problem is, isn't that your hindsight looking back saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, there's no yeah, but, because the Panthers' self-scouting is so abysmal that they didn't understand their team wasn't good. And I can be at fault in a part because in fantasy, for, for our fantasy football aspect, that's because I went to this camp and I was like, man, this team looks like it could win, it looked like it win nine games. Right? They look good at camp. They did not look like as good as the Jets did when the Jets came down there practice against them. But the thought was more so that 
they were going to be competent because they have so many different pieces. The running game looked good with Miles Sanders. Chuba was there. They utilized Hayden Hurst in a lot of different ways, which they haven't done this year for shit. Adam Thielen looked good. He does for fantasy football. And they talked about using the dynamic piece of Terrace Marshall, Jonathan Mingo, and DJ Chark, who I just forgot to mention because they also paid DJ Chark. They are so bad at internally scouting their own football team that they thought that they were going to be competitive and playing for the NFC South this year. That's a thought. Imagine trading away Caleb freaking Williams and DJ Moore for Bryce Young because you're so bad at self-scouting your own team that you think you can win now with inept pieces on the offensive line, being talent-deprived across the board, and with a defense that is was once thought of as an up-and-coming defense in the NFL. So much talent on that defensive side of the football for Carolina that I don't know. I don't know. That might Maybe that should have been my top thought of the week, but it comes in at number three. Number two, Kyle Pitts is tight end 11 over the last three weeks. Tight end 11. Jonu Smith is tight end seven. Kyle Pitts' snap share in those last three games was 78%, 64%, and then 53% this week whilst he had a big 11-target performance against the Houston Texans, leading the Atlanta Falcons with 11 targets, 7 for 87. Kyle Pitts looked better, only was in on 53% of the snaps, but he had 11 targets out of 37 from Desmond Ritter. Talked about it last week on the Dynasty Roundtable. If you tune into the hurdle on Wednesday, we had Seth Dewald on there on the hurdle. That was on the Executives of Fantasy Football on YouTube. Maddie Kewam and I do the hurdle on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Sorry, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Then we went on to Seth's show, the Dynasty Roundtable, and we talked about our biggest buy. He said, pound the table. Who is your buy? I said, you know what? This is going to be another one that I haven't, I haven't really drafted a bunch of because he was priced so high as a rookie, Kyle Pitts. I said, you got to buy Kyle Pitts. I said, this guy is 23 years old. He's still a super talent. Just because his quarterback is so inept right now does not mean you have to be off of Kyle Pitts. And and the current price take on Kyle Pitts was down to like a a first-round pick, a first-round pick, or a second and like some running back that doesn't matter. You could actually obtain Kyle Pitts at age 23 still. For actually a decent price. Then he goes out and gets 11 targets. Kyle Pitts is tight end 11 over the last three weeks. I think he's tight end 16 on the season. That's how bad the tight end position is. That one game for Kyle Pitts can elevate him so much. A big, 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 hairy top 10 thoughts show this week. I appreciate you guys all staying tapped in here. Sean Roberts jumps in the chat. He says, will Pickens be in that list by the end of the season? I don't know what that means. What list? Forget about the tackle in the second. <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. There you go for the for the Carolina Panthers. Moore has three years and a cheaper contract as well. Yeah, it was a colossal failure by the Carolina Panthers. Just point blank. I don't know any other way to splice that one up. The number one thought of the week, though, is going to go to a running back. And I should pull up my scale right now just so I'm not off on 
the explanation of this one. The dog rating. The dog rating is something that I've worked on for the last three years now. And one of the guys that initially began at the top of the dog rating was one of my favorite running backs in the 2022 class. And his name is Isaiah Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco. The same class as Sky Moore, as Kenneth Walker, as George Pickens, Damian Pierce. Isaiah Pacheco came in at a 7.9, which is 0.1 away from the menace level. Right, So I talked about Damian Pierce being a menace. I talked about George Pickens being a menace, Trey Palmer. But Ken Walker and Isaiah Pacheco were 0.0, sorry, 0.10 points away from being that menace level. So Pacheco was a mofo. He was a seventh-round pick out of Rutgers. He runs like a Tasmanian devil. And when you look at what he's done this year, it's no short of excellent. The Chiefs' new look, and again, I don't know if this is a Isaiah Pacheco top thought or if this is a Kansas City Chiefs top thought. We'll start it here, though. Super Bowl this year between the Chiefs and the 49ers is going to be sweet because the Niners are so clearly the best team in football and the Chiefs get to defend their championship. And Isaiah Pacheco is leading the Chiefs into this battle. This is a run-first, a run-focused Kansas City Chiefs team playing defense. Run the ball and play defense is something that you did not think you'd be saying about the Kansas City Chiefs whilst Patrick Mahomes was at the helm. Rashi Rice is incrementally coming along. Sky Moore seems like he's just stuck in the mud somewhere. Kelsey gets hurt. You're going to get a little more Noah Gray going forward. Kelsey was just looking like he was about to get to 100%. I was, I was just vouching last week to, to Alex. I said, Alex, man, this is, you know, this is the Kelsey week. He's gonna, his opportunities are going to be there. He seems like he's getting to 100%. He's going to get his 10 targets. He got 11. I was like, hell yeah, man. I was right. And then the freaking ankle happens for Travis Kelsey. This team is going to run the ball, and they're going to play defense until they don't have to, until someone's going to push Kansas City and try to make them play air raid football, which I don't think is a good decision. The Chiefs are going to do what they have to do. They're going to run the football, and they're going to play defense. They gave up nine points to Jacksonville. They lost to the Lions in week one, 21-20. They beat the Bears, they give up 10. They beat the Jets, they give up 20. They beat the Vikings, they give up 20. You look at the Vikings game, Madison scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter. It was 27-13 to 13 going into that. You go back to that Jets game, what was the score? The score was 20-12. to 12. Lazard scores late. That was just an interesting football game in totality, but this defense is really good for the Chiefs. Isaiah Pacheco is that dude right now. Isaiah Pacheco is not even getting pushed into a mega role. 60% snapshot was his max. That was last week against the Jets. He had a 59% snapshot this week against the Vikings. He's been efficient. He's been effective. He's been dominant. They put him in the Wildcat. Isaiah Pacheco and the New Look Chiefs run the ball, play defense. The top thought is it's Chiefs Niners in the Super Bowl. And you have a run the ball, play defense team in the Kansas City Chiefs, and you have a dynamic 49ers offense that can run the football and play defense. Isaiah Pacheco's a dude. 
You have to continue to trust him. And he's 24.2 years old. And he needs to be looked at in higher regards in fantasy football and in dynasty. Because he comes in, he snatches this entire role away from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, from Jerick McKinnon. He was injured to come into the season. This kid's got the biggest chip you've ever seen on your shoulders. When I saw him at the NFL Combine, I asked him who his favorite player was. He said he grew up watching LaDainian Tomlinson. He had LaDainian Tomlinson cleats, wearing Gucci glasses. This man is a dog. A dog. And this is exactly why I created the dog rating, D-A-W-G, on patreon.com forward slash executives. So the top thought of the week is Isaiah Pacheco is, and always was, and always will be, a dog. So I appreciate you guys tuning in, tapping in this week to the top 10 thoughts. It's a little bit of a longer show, but I feel like we had a couple of good ones in there, including number three, of course, with the uh, Carolina Panthers. So again, until next time, I appreciate you guys. Stay tuned into rosterwatch.com every single day of the week. You got any questions, tune them in. Rosterwatch.com, drop them in the comments. Waiver questions, trade questions, whatever you name it. Me, Trashman, Byron, Alex will be there to answer those questions. I'll be back on Saturday on Sirius, on Sunday watching rosters. Until next time, I'm Cody Carpentier. You can find me on Twitter at Carpentier NFL. I appreciate you guys, and we'll talk to you next time.